0: Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the Daily Energy Markets podcast. It is Tuesday, February 20th, 10.30 UAE time, and we have Brent crude oil trading in Asia this morning at $83.56, essentially unchanged uh, in early trade. Yesterday was pretty flat with the U.S. markets closed on a public holiday there, so Trading volumes were quite thin. Uh, We would expect that to pick up today as Western markets get their week started. Let's kick off this morning with one of our favorite podcast commentators, Mike McGlone, senior macro strategist at Bloomberg Intelligence. Enjoyed his long weekend. Now he's back to work. Got to earn a crust, Mike, although it's still late there and it's still your long weekend, I suppose. But we do appreciate you joining us. Mike, your thoughts of where this market's going? It does seem we're up ten percent thus far this year, supported by a few things, but geopolitics seems to be the the wind and the sails that incremental rise. Your thoughts on destination of travel?
1: Yes, Sean, I, I appreciate being on, um, and I think you nailed it exactly. Why crude oil is higher? You um, you look at um, its brethren, natural gas. Certainly, US natural gas, it's the lowest price is 1990. You look at the industrial metals, they're lower. Um, grains, they're lower. And so crude oil to me has a geopolitical premium. I view it as around $20. I think it's the upper end of the range. Brent around 85, WTR around 80. So right near the upper end of the range. Now, last year, I thought that was a little bit early. It popped up to 95. That was the high. And then it trickled down to 70 by the end of the year. I think that's the risk. It's a big difference. From last year's look at all the other commodities that are heading lower. You look at the U.S. stock market; it is last year this time was about a twenty percent discount, now it's the highest ever. Um, and we all see the latest data. Our classic, what you'd expect, supply and demand elasticity from the big spike in prices up to the peak in twenty twenty two in the back of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. So the cycle for commodities is all is all bad. They're on the downside of the high price cure. We haven't even started interest rate cuts. Typically takes a couple of years um, of cuts in a decent lag, except in one key country, China. Um, And crude oil is the the laggard on that way down in commodities. The key question is, can it sustain these levels? And I look at every day that it's at these levels. It just brings in more supply from the non-OPEC sources, most notably U.S. and Canada. It's squashing that demand. The demand is not really there. Um, and to me, it's just a matter of time we flip the switch and it catches up and drops to $50 a barrel.
0: Laurie Hattayan, MENA Director, Natural Resource Governance Institute. Laurie sitting in Belgium, but nonetheless, a strong watcher of all things Middle East and Middle East energy flows. Where are we going with this geopolitical narrative uh, in the region, Laurie? We have a, a, a ship, another one attacked in the Red Sea, actually abandoned by the crew, uh, reports are that that ship may even sink. Uh, a cargo ship, not an oil or a liquids boat, but nonetheless a, a badly damaged one. We had some missiles into your home country, Lebanon, seemed deeper into the country, into as far north as Saida. Where are we going with this major crisis in the Middle East? Uh,
2: so uh, all these incidents are very, uh, uh, very sad. Uh, but that this is becoming very absurd, I guess. So, and especially for those uh, parties who are saying that they have opened all these fronts to support Gaza, because at the end of the day, this is not supporting Gaza. The situation is worse, uh, getting worse and worse in Gaza. And now we are at the stage where everyone is worried about what will happen to the people in Gaza, because it seems that Israel has. Decided not change its mind that it is going to, con- going to continue uh, with uh, uh, with its, uh, if you want, final phase of the attacks, which is like going into Rafa, etc. So neither the Lebanese support front that was announced on the eighth October is helping. On the contrary, it is really uh, becoming bad for the country, as you said. Now the attacks are going deeper into. Uh, 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 into into Lebanon and away from the southern borders where it started, and it and with casualties to the uh, to the Hezbollah military apparatus. So targeted targeted attacks on their military apparatus. So that is painful, and nothing is changing on the uh, on the Palestinian side. Uh, same with the Houthis. After they were recognized again or removed from the terrorist list, they are back. Being the terrorist on the terrorist list, they are losing whatever they had built uh, during this peace uh, uh, moment, and then nothing is helping. But like uh, the, the, there are target uh, casualties in the uh, in the Yemeni uh, front. Uh, same that could be said uh, uh, on the Iraqi front. So I think we are at the point where the support allies or the support access is the be- the situation is becoming very absurd and dangerous to them, and nothing is changing. So, how is this? When is this going to end? It's uh, it's like it it it's really not, we don't know uh, because like still like this is in the hands of the Israelis, and unfortunately, uh, till now we don't see that the Israelis are being uh, um, affected by. Uh, by this uh, much, to the point of stopping the war, and that is there, are we
0: still in the zone of potential risk for this to conflagrate? We have these individual fires, and of course, the major one in Gaza, which is a raging tornado uh, onto the Palestinians there. But are is there still a risk that they can join up, and this becomes a much bigger threat to regional energy supply and that whole macro picture, or? Is that off the table? If it was going to happen, it would have happened by now.
2: I do believe that it would have happened long before, so I don't think that's going to happen. Unfortunately, it's like these, uh the like, the, like again, all the victims are like the Lebanese, uh, the Houthis, etc. Uh, we saw one incident, definitely uh, not to be uh, disregarded. We saw this attack on the iranian infrastructure which iranians downplayed kind of saying that it is not by israeli but they think that there are other factions even that statement is a statement of the escalation th- saying that we don't want that ultimate war either is- iran being attacked by the americans or even like escalating the tone uh, vis-a-vis the israelis more than that the iranians are in, uh, cannot afford to have like uh, this war Uh, affecting their economy and whatever they have done, they are ready to sacrifice the Lebanese, the Houthis, the Iraqis, because these proxies were made for that, to sacrifice in the name of the bigger cause. So as long as the Israelis are not directly attacking the Iranians, as long as the Americans are playing the game and not attacking the Iranians, even though everyone is saying that the fingers of the Iranians are everywhere, but no one is attacking any critical strategic uh, asset in Iran. That means that this is this one needs to be contained.
0: And I, and I suppose we're absurd. seeing this
2: is becoming very absurd in the region.
0: We're, that's we're seeing that in the incremental oil price rise, but not necessarily stratospheric. The markets don't believe there's a threat to supply. Dr. Charles Elinas, CEO Cyprus Natural Hydrocarbons Company and Senior Fellow at the Global Energy Center Atlantic Council. Uh, Dr. Charles, we're seeing, uh, you know, the 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 outlook for uh, a big deal announced recent days in the gas opportunity in Egypt offshore. There, uh, Adnoc and BP announcing a big project. Uh, where is the East Med development? I mean, obviously the conflict in 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 the region, but nonetheless, big gas opportunities at a time when the gas prices, as Mike mentioned, is at near a 30-year low in the US?
3: Well, I mean, for a start, the um, crisis in the Middle East is is having a small effect, only a small effect on the gas situation in the, in the East Med. The, the majors are a little bit more careful about the investments they make. Having said that, only yesterday, Chevron announced a huge investment in Israel to expand production from Tamar. Um, uh, simply because Egypt is in the doldrums. It has great problems with gas. Gas production is going down continuously. The uh, new discoveries may help them, but they're not there yet. Uh, Gas demand in Egypt is going up. And despite the fact that uh, global gas prices are going down in Europe as well as everywhere else, gas prices in Egypt uh, paid to the uh, oil companies are fixed. The the Egyptian market is acting independently from global markets, so the Egypt is uh, is trying its best uh, to get to find more gas. There have been a few gas discoveries uh, recently, small ones, and I guess these will be developed. But it has also opened up opportunities for Cyprus now to export the gas to Egypt. Uh, the Aphrodite gas field uh, Chevron is is expected to come back with a plan, a revised plan, by April, uh, and um, I'm expecting that will get to go ahead. Um, ENI in Cyprus announced more uh, gas discovery in Block 6, and um, within a month or two, it is expected to put forward a plan to develop that gas and send it to Egypt. So gas in uh, the East Met, especially around Egypt, is still uh, the center of attention. There is a, a, a huge uh, opportunity there, and that's why ATNOC has gone in. Um, that's why the the majors uh, are persevering and continuing with our efforts in Egypt. Um, th- this week, Egypt has its uh, annual gas co- annual conference, the Egypt's 2024, and I'm sure we will hear a lot more developments in the in the gas sector. Uh, to show up Egypt because it, it it has a great problem. Great problem is that the. Subs-
0: did we lose uh, Charles? I think we did. Mike, I wanted to come to you on that and just pick up on 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 the sort of the piece of supply and you know what is you know the sober enough climb in oil prices, but nonetheless inflated by the geopolitical risk, but also the non OPEC supply. Dr. Charles mentioned Chevron's appetite there in the East Med, but Chevron also has a big appetite in the Permian Basin and where U.S. supply may go. Wall Street seems to be back, wants to throw a lot of money at hydrocarbons, Uh, all these huge mergers and acquisitions we saw last year. Where do you think U.S. oil and gas production
1: goes as we move forward this year? There's one primary force to shut off U.S. Um, supply and can- Canadian supply, Sean, and that's uh, lower prices. We're still in the phase where um, prices right now around $80 in WTI are well above the cost of production, close to the 50 break-even cost. And there's no reason to shut it down. And the key thing that really struck me two years ago when people said, oh, shale's going to die. I've, been heard, I've heard that for 15, well, at least 10 years. Is look at that upward trajectory in the, in, the ex- in, in supply versus demand in North America. It's been in place for twenty years, and it's there's only one force that's really shut it off in, since the last five years or so. Is that when prices drop? So OPEC's in a, in a bit of a pickle at the moment. The be- best way to really shut off that supply is to drop. Prices to throw on, throw on supply. There's their supply, OPEC supply, and drop prices to below forty. That'll shut off shale. That's what it's going to take. And but we did it, see it shale
0: come to a kind of a natural wind down, or at least uh, sort of stopped going up in the mid uh, mid sort of late teens five eight years ago. Wall Street gave up on funding uh, further uh, exploits in 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 the Permian and elsewhere.
1: Is that appetite back? I mean, Bloomberg's reporting that it looks like it is. I, 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 it's one of those things in commodities. I enjoy hearing it, Sean. And I think that happened after prices collapsed from 100 down to about 40, uh, almost 40. 2015 and 16, it's, it takes the, a, a year or an effect. And here we are, we're still on the wrong side of that cycle. So don't underestimate, it's not just U.S. shale supply and demand. U.S. Um, diesel, is it the same? Diesel demand is the same as 2015. It's declined from, it's well below the peak. Unleaded gas is declined. Unle- um, container board box demand is declining. All these in metrics in the U.S. are in recessionary trajectories. Except for supply. And if you include Canada, it's in excess of about six million barrels a day of liquid fuels. I have to include liquid fuels, my farm background, in ethanol. and ethanol. Partly, then you look at that, that's about the same as OPEC spare capacity. You see the trends there. There's nothing good for that. And just imagine we have a new president Trump who's drill at will. There's nothing good here for crude oil prices. And then there's that issue of every single time crude oil pumps up a little bit in price, and the stock market pumps up a little bit. What it needs is Fed-easing, and that Fed-easing expectations in the market keeps getting taken away. The beginning year was around 170 basis points, and the year ahead, now it's 100. And partly, when you see crude oil spike up, that easing in the future goes away. So it's a lose-lose for crude oil prices. And you're seeing that in virtually all of the commodities, with the exception of one, and that's gold.
0: Laurie, we've, we've got obviously the, the Middle East crisis and we've generally sensed that as terrible as it is, it hasn't conflagrated into a major threat to energy supplies in the region. What's the outlook for Europe? Uh, still two plus years now. We just passed through the second anniversary of Russia's invasion of the Ukraine. Uh, we seem to be stuck and typically winter. The war does get stuck because of the cold and so forth, but How big a disruptive factor is that for the outlook for Europe? We hear the Europeans, there's still gas flowing through Ukraine to Europe from Russia. Talk of that now being, uh, you know, when that contract expires this year, that won't be renewed. Where is the war in Europe, in Ukraine, uh, impacting and the outlook for Europe for more funding for the Ukrainians to sustain the war? Where do you think the priorities of that go?
2: Uh, look, I think the, the feeling is and uh, it, it's that uh, everything is kind of under control uh, with Europe when it comes to Russia and all the decisions that had been taken, all the measures that had been taken, the alternatives, all of that made them like kind of feel comfortable uh, vis-a-vis their policies with uh, with Russia, regardless of what happens. Uh, but I think the other problem today is And I think it's since the IRA, it's with the US. Understanding is the US our enemy, is the US our ally, like when we need mostly, when we are like really- Is
0: uh, that a question being asked in Brussels now where you're sitting? That's quite a profound question.
2: It's like, what what are these Americans trying to do? And now I think it's more affected by the elections as well and the election outcome. Wondering like if Trump comes back, is it a good thing or a bad thing to us? for NATO, like, you know, all the statements that uh, that uh, Trump is doing about NATO, about drilling, uh, other things. But like today with the LNG stuff, when the Biden administration for environmental reasons, for electoral reasons, whatever, they decided that the new contracts might be uh, looked at again, revised again, etc. And when the, the the setup in Europe is that they are relying mostly on LNG coming from the U.S., then they wonder, they say, OK, is this reliable or not? Or are we going into another? Have they topic? moved from
0: one dependency to another? Yes. I mean, they got out of Russia to go to America, <laughs> but that's equally as dependent.
2: So short term, and I think short short term now, yes, this is a different uh, uh, dependency. And then going forward, even when they rely on renewable, on hydrogen, it's a, a different uh, dependency. I think because because like regardless of these lapses of time and or his, historical events like the war in Ukraine, the war here and there the world is made to be interdependent. Like this whole idea about climate change and about like resources that are getting smaller and smaller and people getting like more and more on this planet and needing to to strive, all of that requires that we all help each other. And there is no one like, I'm alone, I can satisfy my needs and that's it, I don't need others. So this interdependence is clear that it doesn't need to be... uh, with leaders that only think about themselves my country comes first i don't care, or belligerent uh, t- uh, a political class like that th- that wants war to others etc cetera, etc cetera. that's not the way forward if we want to be a bit philosophical uh, uh, uh today but but i guess But it's I, certainly it's but certainly there is, no, there is no like there is no alarm mood in Lab- in in, in Brussels. Lebanon, definitely, in Brussels. So they they feel that it is under control, working on the next phases, et cetera. And even like with yesterday's decision of Ursula von der Leyen to continue with the second term, I guess, that means that they want to continue with the green energy and looking at the changing world now after the invasion of Ukraine. So that is like, yes, security, but yes, competitiveness as well. How to make the green deal, uh, comp- uh, like, in the favor of the of the industry in Europe, at the same yeah. time with security issues. So,
0: Doctor Do, Charles, I wanted to get your view on the question of the East Med. You finished up your earlier comment, or, or your 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 connection dropped. About you know, we've been talking about the development of the East Med for a number of years, and and the outlook for uh, was was always sort of sort of neutral to negative, that the economics were there for the East Med. But in recent times, we've seen the national energy companies in the Gulf, uh, and now most recently, and you mentioned there'd be headlines coming out of Egypt because of the energy conference this week, we had a big headline from a senior ADNOC executive saying that the future for ADNOC is gas, and they've gone into a big opportunity in Egypt with BP, and, and we've got obviously uh, Qatar Energy in and around Cyprus. Uh, what difference does the arrival of the big national energy companies from the Gulf make to the economic viability of gas development in rather deep, expensive waters of the East Med?
3: Well, I mean, the, the developments center around Egypt, as I said before. I mean, in Cyprus, uh, there there could be a bit more drilling, but uh, it's more more limited opportunities right now. I mean, Cyprus is still waiting to see what happens with the development of Aphrodite and Block 6. But in Egypt, the opportunities are increasing fast. The population is increasing, demand for gas is increasing, the government is uh, despite the problems it has in gas production, is still pushing for use of gas in transport, for example, increasing use of, of gas in transport. There is a, a, a fixed market there, as I said before. Prices of gas in Egypt are fixed by e gas and not necessarily not necessarily related to the global markets. They have fixed them some time ago and they have but to But isn't that for the maybe. domestic
0: market, not for the export market?
3: But the export market has difficulty. They are not exporting right now. Egypt um, exports of LNG from Egypt last year were uh, only 3.7 million tons, nothing, very little. And this year it's not expected that uh, that export is going to go up in any way. It's going to probably be be even less. So export doesn't come into it. It's the domestic market that is attracting this attention and interest because in effect, prices in comparison to production costs in Egypt are still quite healthy. That's why, for example, um, uh, Tamar, uh, uh, Chevron uh, has uh, embarked on a 24 billion dollar project to expand production of Tamar by by 60 percent, almost from one BCF uh, per day to 1.6, and most of the gas is destined to go to Egypt, simply because Egypt is keen to get all the guns he can get uh, uh new new
0: discoveries may come in Egypt what but Laurie jump in on time. that because that you don't that doesn't sound too optimistic for Lebanese outlook Dr Charles keeps pulling me back oh. to the to the Egypt East Med I want to talk about the Lebanese Syria uh, Cyprus East Med uh, because there's big national actors from the Gulf coming in there as well but Dr Charles doesn't seem too optimistic about that.
3: No, I don't. Uh, I'm not optimistic about Lebanon. Lebanon is, it has its own problems. Uh, they, Let's they... get Laurie on
0: that. Let's get Laurie yeah. on okay. that point.
2: Okay, so uh, just let me... Uh, but my,
0: my ultimate question here is, yes. do the national yes. energy companies make a difference to the economics, which would otherwise maybe seem unattractive?
2: Uh, Look, so definitely this is a new trend that we are seeing about the national oil companies, especially the Gulf companies coming into uh, investment outside their countries, you know, like it was always... Focused on there, but this is part of the diversification of these org- of these companies, trying to diversify their portfolio, trying to diversify geographically as well. So, for instance, in the Lebanese case, Qatar Energy being part of the deal that happened in 2022 after the maritime deal between Lebanon and Israel, it was part of the deal to have Qatari Qatar Energy coming in to support financially when needed the exploration with Total and ENI, because Lebanon, as you know, is completely failing. And there is nothing that is attractive in Lebanon to invest, uh, to get investors or even to get like the money you need to borrow the money for companies to work on. So Qatar Energy, as long as it is there, there is the political cloud and there is the political green lighting for the project. That it means that if money is needed, Qatar Energy would be easier to give money to do the support. So this is the kind of understanding we see about like when you have Gulf money coming in. Qatar Energy is specific in that. I don't. I'm not sure that uh, Adnoc or uh, um, or others have uh, have that, uh, have that uh, political uh, 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 political uh, um, if you want uh, easiness as well. But definitely, what is interesting. Uh, so uh, now, like the Lebanese government is in negotiations with ENI, Total, and. Uh, Qatar Energy for block 8 and 10 and the Lebanese government doesn't like the proposal that was submitted by the companies and it was at once more of the financial uh, benefits at once at once the companies to stri- straight away start working and this is not what the companies want that f- first of all they cannot give them the financial benefits when the risks are so high and the, and then you see the risk like in the middle of the Well, you wonder if there's
0: even a Lebanese government that could sign a contract. Let's go to the... But can uh, I say one
2: thing, just because very interesting. And because I've been thinking a lot about Churchill in the past 24 hours and 48 hours. Churchill
0: as in Winston Churchill?
2: As in Winston Churchill, yes. And not the stop Churchill stop that is next to my uh, uh, Brussels uh, apartment. (laughs) So it's no no lasting enemies, no lasting uh, uh, friends, only lasting interest like in the middle of what is happening between like the in israel you see that uh, in israel and palestine you see that egyptian companies are signing deals to expand the lng projects for, with israel so that they could get the benefits because they need the gas and so these are the these things are lasting
0: interest let's go to the survey That's question brent crude oil climbed 10 percent in the first half of q1 what will it do in the second half of q1 Brent crude oil climbed 10% in the first six weeks or so of the year. It's up. What will it do in the second half of Q1? Are we in a continuous rise? Uh, will we see a fallback uh, in the second half of Q1? So there's not a big window of time we're looking at here. Or will the oil prices plateau to where they they, they are at the moment? They're at that 83 piece. Um, so will this 10% continue, rise, fall, or plateau Uh Place your bets, ladies and gentlemen. Mike Malone, I wanted to get your thoughts on speaking of the price of money, which was mentioned earlier, that we started the year with the idea that the price of money, uh, the feds were going to cut rates sooner uh, and as early as next month, that's backed away from that now. Market expectation is higher for longer. What difference does that make, A, to demand for energy in the U.S., Higher prices on, on for money and for investment into capex.
1: Um, let's look at the facts of uh, the average uh, price of money is always a big factor in all commodities. Typically, commodities bottom at least the last 20 years, bottom about almost two years after the first Federal Reserve ease. Um, so it hasn't even started. And you look at the PPI measures of the four horsemen of the global economy, the U.S., China. Germany and Japan, the average is minus 3%. That's very rare. So it's deflation in terms of PPI, it's typically materials and commodities. Yet the US interest rate uh, Fed funds at 533 um, percent is the highest ever versus that negative deflationary number. That spread around 8%. We my data only goes back 30 years. We've never been that wide. So it's very contract, very restrictive. Um, and then you have see those trends in US demand decline and US supply increasing. There's nothing good there from a US Interest rate standpoint, U.S. supply and demand standpoint, um, it's got geopolitical risk holding up crude oil. So the way I see it is the bottom line to get crude oil, uh, to get interest rates lower, typically is probably going to take either crude lower or stock market lower. And I don't see how interest rates can stay down if crude oil goes up. It's an inflationary factor. So right now, everything's tilting the wrong way and it's just waiting for something, a little bit of a catalyst. And uh, I don't, uh, like I said, I'm obviously quite bearish. I remain that way but for interest rates to really drop as the market's been expecting, you know, a year from now, they've been wrong for two years. Um it's going to take probably lower stocks and higher crude oil is not a good thing for interest rates to go down.
0: And Charles last word to you on that from a European perspective. Obviously inflation does seem to be tackled, but now we've got recessions technical nonetheless uh, Germany, the UK uh, what is that combination of of, of uh, still high rates, inflation in, in or recession, although not deep ones in Europe, from a, a economic growth point of view, for energy demand point of view, the outlook for Europe this year?
3: Well, in in I mean, Europe at the moment is in the, is in election fever. I mean, everything seems to be driven by elections, so I don't expect uh, any major changes in interest rates, even though there are uh, indications that they are considering a cut in interest rates, they're only considering, there is no clear indication that they will bring interest rates down, Uh, especially, as you said, with the problems happening, um, in uh, especially in Germany. The German industrial output is 20% down in comparison to pre-COVID levels. It has gone massively down, and it's still... And there is no clear indication that he will recover, um, and election f- election fever is is uh, predominating. Ursula von der Leyen is trying to re- get re-elected. Um, the right—that's a done deal, isn't it? I mean, thats it's it? Well, it's a done deal, but it's a, a, not absolutely clear. I mean, there is no not yet a clear um, opponent, but uh, it's. It, it, it's he, she will be the candidate for her own party. Beyond that, we'll need will need to wait and see. She has given concessions to the farmers, as you probably heard. After the farmers got into the streets um, on, on on environmental targets, um, Europe is, try, is still trying to push for higher targets. I mean, for example, the uh, Europe is trying to push for a ninety percent cut in emissions in by twenty forty. But the rise of the right-wing parties within Europe is expected to shock the parliament. In Europe. Will,
0: will this guy uh, Velders get to form the government in 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 Holland? Is that
3: uh, seems to be dragging on? Yeah, well, but the Dutch uh, Dutch way of forming governments is it takes always a long time. Everything happens by consensus, so it takes a long time. But yes. The answer is that he will form a government. His popularity rates have gone much higher now than before the elections. So the other parties will dread going back into another election because they know... A right-wing government in Holland
0: could certainly be uh, sand in the wheels of a lot of these developments and change the direction of travel for 2024 uh, in in Europe. Uh, We're going to have to leave it there, I'm afraid. And we'll close out with uh, the the comment from our correspondent in California, who's staying up far too late. Uh, Richard Radoglia. <laughs> green energy is a fool's errand, which is bankrupting the EU and particularly Germany. There you go, Richard Redoglia. Uh You heard it here first, or you've heard it here a few times from Richard, nonetheless. But uh, certainly, Germany and Europe are having a challenging time. Is it because of green energy? That's the question. I'm not sure. Uh, so, what we'll do in the second half of Q1, it looks like plateau is the safe bet. I'm not sure. I'm on the rising vote myself. Um, thank you, guys. Mike McLone, rock star up late in America, Laurie Tayen in Brussels, and Dr. Charles Elinas. Really appreciate your time joining us from Tunisia, I believe, today. Or is Austria, that Laurie?
2: Austria. It's me. Oh, it's you. Enjoying sorry. the sun. To I am <laughs> my, my,
0: Austria, Tunisia. What are we doing, Mike? We got we to gotta get on the road. Okay, guys, all the best.